This is Wide Margins episode 22, Was Jesus in a Click? Now, if you were to ask that question or be asked that question, was Jesus in a click, your automatic response would be, no, of course not. Jesus wasn't in a click. Click is one of those loaded words. It's an ugly word. Uh, We don't like it when we see what we perceive to be clicks. And if we're accused of being in a click, the first thing that we say is, no, I'm not a click. This isn't a click. And click is kind of a, a bad word. I had to look it up to see what it actually meant. It's used so much, I kind of lost the meaning of it, but when I looked it up, a click is basically a small, exclusive group of friends. Now, there's nothing wrong with a small group of friends. There's nothing wrong with a group of friends. But a small, exclusive group of friends, there's a problem with that. Because we don't need to be exclusive. I guess there are certain people... It's healthy for us spiritually and physically to shut out of our lives. But for the most part, we need to be inclusive. We need to embrace others. We need to show love and compassion. We need to look out for people who are lonely and who need friends and who need help. So it's never good to be exclusive, except in extreme cases. That's what's wrong with cliques. But so often, people will see a group of friends and automatically assume they are being exclusive, and that's how they came to be a a group of friends. And I want to challenge that, and I also want us to look at Jesus and see how he related to other people. You'll notice from the scriptures that he did have big groups of friends, he had small groups of friends, he had distant relationships, he had intimate relationships, but I don't think it's fair to say that he was in a clique. I'm not sure that's the best word to use for this. Now, some examples. One of my favorite examples is the relationship Jesus had with this little family who lived in a village called Bethany, uh, Lazarus and Martha and Mary. That's a, a brother and sisters. They lived together in Bethany, and Bethany was close to Jerusalem. It was a place Jesus and his disciples often went to visit, and they would stay with this this little family. And in John chapter 11, John remarks, just in passing really, that Jesus loved Lazarus and his sisters Martha and Mary. That's verse 5. This is the chapter, by the way, where Lazarus dies And four days after his death, Jesus comes and raises him from the dead. There's a lot of touching conversation between Martha and Jesus and Mary and Jesus. And then, of course, there's the scene where Jesus comes to Lazarus' tomb and he cries over that. And he's deeply, he's greatly troubled in his soul over this. It's very clear that Jesus was closer to these three than most people. And vice versa. I think they felt very close to him. So there's one example of a small group of friends, of close friends, that Jesus had. Another obvious example, so obvious that sometimes we skip over it, is the apostles. Jesus handpicked 12 apostles, and people might look at that and say, well, that was all business. He was just trying to find qualified men to carry on the work after he was gone. But that's not what Mark chapter 3, verse 14 says. 
If you look at Mark 3.14, it says, Jesus chose 12 apostles that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. So the business part of that is in there. He might send them out to preach. But Mark also says that the second reason, it's the first one listed, that Jesus chose those men was so that they could be with him. I don't know what that means if it doesn't mean as companions. He chose them as friends. And there were a lot to choose from. There were hundreds, maybe thousands of disciples to choose from. Jesus spent all night in prayer before selecting these men. And after he selected them, they were with him pretty much all the time um, until they deserted him when he was being tried. So there are those 12 disciples. Now, within the 12 disciples, there were groups. There were the inner circle, as they are sometimes called, Peter, James, and John. You'll see these three men picked by Jesus to accompany him on special occasions. One example is the transfiguration. Matthew 17, Luke 9, only Peter, James, and John went with Jesus and experienced that with him. Uh, the healing or the resurrection, rather, of Jairus's daughter, Mark chapter 5, I think, Jesus took only those three, three guys. Only they were able to see that amazing event for themselves. Uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, just Peter, James, and John were brought into the garden closer to where Jesus was when he prayed that night. You'll remember he was trying to get them to stay awake and watch with him he was his he his heart was very heavy and it seems that he wanted them there not just as a guard but for companionship for comfort and of course they failed him and kept falling asleep but they were very close to him and i know there are some other reasons why he might have chosen them to accompany him on those occasions one being leadership potential but you can't get around the fact that they were closer to him than the others. He wanted them with him, not just for training, but for companionship. You can see in the scriptures how close he was to each of those men. Peter was somebody that was very special to Jesus. He was the first person Jesus appeared to after his resurrection. Um, John referred to himself in the Gospel of John as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And whenever Jesus was dying on the cross, he entrusted the care of his mother to John, who was the only disciple besides the women, the only of the twelve disciples who were at the foot of the cross whenever he was dying. He entrusted the care of his mother to John. He entrusted John to his mother. John must have been very, very special to him. So I don't think we can say Jesus didn't have any special friends, that Jesus was equally close to every person. That's just not what is borne out by the scriptures. You see in Jesus's life, distant friends. You see close friends. You see him reaching out to the marginalized. You see him talking to the religious establishment. He, In one sense, he treated everybody equally, but in another sense, he had family. He had close friends, but he was never exclusive. If someone wanted to asked Jesus a question, he was there for them. If someone needed Jesus, if he could physically do it, he was there for them. He was able to have close friendships without being 
exclusive. And I think that's what separates him from a clique, but it also confirms our natural inclination to gravitate towards certain people over other people. I, I guess what I'm saying is it's okay to have close friends. There's nothing in the world wrong with that. And we all long for that. We want that. And a lot of the criticisms about cliques come, interestingly enough, from, from people who would themselves like to have a close, close-knit group of friends. So I want to spend the rest of this time just talking about friendship and some biblical concepts on friendship and how we get into trouble on that and why we often get our feelings hurt and talk about exclusion and cliques. I've already said it's never right to exclude, but I also think that we don't, on the other end of it, we don't need to expect to be a part of every group or every outing. I learned a new word not too long ago. I'm, I'm studying up, I'm trying to write some material on social media and the Christian's relationship to social media. And you've probably heard this before, but for me it was a new term, FOMO. It's an acronym for Fear of Missing Out. And it's a real thing. If you've never heard the term before, if you're on social media, you have experienced this before. Have you ever been scrolling through Instagram or Facebook and boom, you see a picture of your friends having a good time somewhere. And instead of saying, oh, good for them, I'm glad they got to do that. I hope they had a lot of fun. Oh, look, they look like they're having a lot of fun. Instead of saying that kind of thing, you're thinking, why wasn't I invited to that? I didn't hear anything about that. That That's not fair. They don't like me. They excluded me. You get into that kind of thing, and it will make you absolutely miserable. The fact is, you can't physically be at everything. And there are just simple reasons why you will not get invited to everything. Sometimes it's wrong place, wrong time, out of sight, out of mind. Sometimes there's really no reason why you weren't invited. It wasn't because you're not liked or there's some secret... Um, you know, conspiracy against you or anything like that. You just, you weren't on their mind at that time. That's okay. Don't expect to be a part of everything. Don't fall into FOMO because it will make you absolutely miserable. And it's not reality. It's not reality. Social media is not reality. And we have to get away from thinking that it is. Now, how do you make friends? How do you make friends? That's a really good question. And a lot of us are very confused on that point. Uh, I'm going to start here with a, a quotation from C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves. And I think this is some of the best advice outside the Bible I've ever read on making friends. Here's what Lewis says. I'll pick up in the middle of a, a paragraph here. That is why those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. Where the truthful answer to the question, do you see the same truth, would be, I see nothing and I don't care about the truth. I only want a friend. No friendship can arise, though affection of course may. There could be nothing for the friendship to be about. 
and friendship must be about something, even if it were only an enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice. Who would want to be excited about white mice? Anyway, those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. Isn't that good advice? I, I think that solves a lot of the problem. What he's saying is, if you don't have a higher purpose in your life, if your life is not about anything, you're not going to make any friends. Think about the closest friends in your life. How did you come to meet them and be with them? Did you go out to make that friend? I would assume, I would imagine that your closest friends, even your spouse, the people that are around you all the time, are the people that you happen to be with when you were doing something that you love. We joke around at church about our pew neighbors or our pew buddies. You come in one Sunday and you just happen to sit down at the first available seat. Ten years later, you're still sitting in that seat and the people who happen to sit around you, who always come to the same seat too, are the people that you're closest to in that church. That, that happens a lot of times. I was, talking about, I was talking to a friend about one of his closest friends and how they got together and how they met. And he told me that he got to know this person uh, because he signed up to serve on the Lord's table and uh, serve communion at church. He was new to the church, new to the area. He didn't know anybody, but he decided to get involved, and he signed up to do this, and he was he was put on the, the Lord's table next to another man, and they were just talking in preparation for services one day, and that conversation and doing that activity together turned into a rich and rewarding friendship still going on today. They've become very, very close because they were doing something together. That is a very different approach from looking out to see who is attractive, who's popular, who looks fun, who looks like they can go places that you would like to go, and targeting a particular person and saying, I want that person to be my friend. I think a lot of us have tried that before and have failed miserably. There have even been some verses of Scripture quoted in support of that kind of thing, but wrongly so. And the one I'm thinking about is Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. Now here is how that reads in the King James translation. The King James translation says, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And the application I've heard before is, if you want to have a friend... You need to be a friend. Go find somebody and be friendly to them, and they'll become your friend. But that's not the context of that passage of Scripture, and it's not what Solomon is saying there. Um, the English Standard Version reads this way. I'm trying to do it by memory, and I'm all of a sudden I'm drawing a blank, but um, a man of many companions may come to ruin but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's what it says in the ESV. A man that has many friends may come to ruin instead of a man that has friends must show himself friendly. Now what he's saying is don't shoot for popularity. 
in order to become popular and have many companions, you have to be friendly to too many people, and that will lead to ruin. What's better is to have one or two people who stick closer to you than family, closer than a brother. That's the meaning there. A true friend is better than being popular. Victor Hugo called popularity glory's small change. Friendship, true friendship, a friend that loves at all times, is you know truly, truly rare. Um, what a friend is, is someone with common interests. And the best definition of a friend is found in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 6, which calls a friend one who is as your own soul. We, we say soulmate. That's basically the same thing. A person who shares your interests, who has the same goals in life as you, and of course for Christians that should have to do with Jesus Christ. You remember David and, uh, David and Jonathan, the textbook classic example of a friend. It is said in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1, that David, that Jonathan loved David as his own soul, and the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. That goes back to Deuteronomy 13, 6, which calls a friend one who is as your own soul, your soulmates, which means you both share the same goals and purposes. How do you find those kinds of people? Get a goal, get a purpose, get a, get a, a reason for living, make your life about something, and then you can have, as Lewis puts it, fellow travelers. Don't smother people. Don't overdo it. Don't pick someone out in order to make them a friend. That never works. That, that's, that always flops. There is actually a proverb on this. It's one of my favorite proverbs from Proverbs chapter 25. And uh, I'm going to read it to you. It's verses 16 and 17. If you have found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit it. Okay, we get that concept, right? Everybody's had too much birthday cake, too much candy. How do you feel after you have too much of a good thing? You get sick, right? So in this case, it's honey. Back then they had uh, sweets that weren't as bad for you as the ones we eat today. He's saying if you, if you eat too much honey, you're going to get sick. And then the comparisons in verse 17. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. Do you understand the comparison? Eat too much candy, you get sick. Be, on, be in your neighbor's house too often, he gets sick. It's the problem of too much of a good thing. That's called smothering people in order to try to force them to be your friend. You can't do that. It never works. What the best strategy is, is to, to find a higher purpose, get busy making your life about something, and your closest friends will be, become those who are shoulder to shoulder working alongside of you for the same purpose. We need God in our life more than anything. And if we find fulfillment in Him, everything else, including friendships, will fall into place. And we won't worry about cliques, and we won't worry about being with the in crowd, and we're not going to be worried about popularity. 
we're going to be fine. Even loneliness can be helped by finding fulfillment in God. And this is something I'm still working on myself. I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you that I've got this all worked out. I, I struggle with this like everybody else. But my inspiration is Jesus. He somehow was able to find all of his relational needs in God. And so when people deserted him, it didn't move him from his purpose. In John 16, he tells the disciples they're going to do this very thing. He says, verse 32, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. And then, he, and then he says this, he adds this on the end. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. If we could just get like that, everybody's going to leave me. If everybody leaves me, I'm still not alone, because the Father is with me. If we could just get to that point, we're not going to worry about cliques and smothering people and trying to force friendships. We're not going to suffer from fear of missing out. It takes a lot of faith. It takes a lot of prayer. We have to spend time with God. We have to join His purpose. But if we can do that, we'll have the greatest friend we can have, and everything else will fall into place. Well, that's all for this week. Stay with us, there'll be more on Wide Margins.